I did a session with a client who wanted to tap into her feminine energy and she ended up like having a download of her entire new coaching program from it. So you, you don't really know what's going to happen. Hello and welcome to the Divergent Woman podcast where we feature inspiring stories of first-generation women entrepreneurs who have broken barriers and defied the odds. I'm your host, Melissa Minchala. Today, we're speaking with Liz Harris. Liz is the founder and CEO of Space Breathwork, as well as the host of Breathing Space podcast and newsletter. She is a certified breathwork facilitator, educator, and coach on a mission to help other women connect more deeply with themselves, their needs, and others, to show up freely and authentically as themselves. Hello, Liz. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Thanks for joining us all the way from beautiful Canada. Am I correct? Mm -hmm. Near Toronto. Toronto. I hear it's beautiful in Toronto. Actually, my son was there not too long ago for a dino conference, SVP, and he said he loved Toronto. So I'm so happy to have you here. We had a little conversation beforehand, and I'm very excited to hear your story for a number of reasons. So let's get started. So tell me a little bit about your background and what you were doing before you started your business and how that led you to becoming an entrepreneur. Okay. A little bit about my background is I was a teacher. I guess I had a little bit of a side hustle growing up. I was a tutor as well to pay my way through university. And then I became a certified teacher. I taught here in Canada. I taught abroad. And I came back from teaching abroad in China for two years and tried to get a job in Canada. And it wasn't that difficult because I speak French and they need French teachers. But about two weeks before I was supposed to start a job, I had a breakdown, knew I couldn't take the job and decided I had to stop teaching. Had no idea what I was going to do. I knew I wanted to be of service, so I decided I was going to do my master's of public international failures so I could become part of the diplomatic services. I started that master's and it also wasn't a right fit. And then the pandemic hit and I was actually supposed to go to France for a year to complete my master's, the second year of my degree. And I just knew that this wasn't the right fit either. I was at home like we all were during lockdown and I decided I really liked being at home. I really liked being able to choose what I wanted to do. And I was already doing a lot of personal growth and development work. So I thought, hey, I'll become a coach. And I started my coaching certification and the rest is kind of history. I knew I had to do this. And it's the only time that something actually felt right. So, you know, I'm curious, you say that, you know, you had this sort of breakdown, you couldn't, you took the job, but you couldn't start the job. Do you know what it was that was sort of that thing bubbling inside you? Why was it so strong that you just couldn't go through with it? Well, when I had been in China for two years, I had massive anxiety where it was a struggle just to get to work every single day. I had used up all the sick days that I possibly could while I was working. And unfortunately, I had had a student who had died by suicide while I was teaching abroad. And when I came back, I think subconsciously, I kind of associated a student being harmed with me being in the classroom, which I know is not true, but I think that's what was kind of preventing me. I just had this like huge resistance and my mental health was kind of deteriorated and I hadn't planned on getting a job right away when I came back. I had actually planned on 
going abroad to teach in Australia. And I thought I would have about six months before I could do that and I could process things. And I went to see a psychologist a couple of times as well. I think that's what was going on under the surface. And it just came to a point where I chose my mental health is more important than anything else. And so it was an act of me choosing myself. I'm so sorry to hear that you went through that experience, but it makes sense where you were so affected by something so tragic and so impactful. So yeah, it was a very good choice. Obviously, anybody would say to choose yourself over anything else. So just to get a little bit more background, you said that you had sort of like this side hustle already where you had been tutoring on the side, which is teaching as well. But were your parents entrepreneurs, business owners? Did you have anyone in your sphere? Where were you sort of picking up this idea about entrepreneurship? But the funny thing is no one in my immediate family was an entrepreneur. My dad worked for the same company for 40 years before he retired. My mom started as a homemaker when I was younger and then because of financial reasons ended up going back to work, you know, in retail and then eventually for the school board. Like everything was somehow pointing towards me becoming a teacher. And I knew she wanted to be a teacher when she was growing up as well. So I think it was partially me pursuing what was important to her and not myself. And as I started to learn more about myself, I realized that wasn't my dream. It was convenient. I had the tutoring background. I loved learning. That's why I went into teaching, but I knew it was never going to sit right with me. It was always planning like, what can I do in the two months that I have off during the year? And I liked the freedom that I got when I was tutoring because I got to choose my clients. I got to choose my hours. I got to choose my own rates. And uh, I started that from when I was 16 and I, it was almost a business. So, but it was a, again, a convenient one where I had the connections in the school board and things. So it wasn't 100% a right fit in what I was doing, but the lifestyle freedom, I think that probably stuck with me because I came from a very working class family. Um, my dad, he was in the trades and most of my family members, my grandparents and uncles were either salesmen or in the trades. And so I didn't have that background other than there was some sort of failed business in the past and my granddad and my uncles had some sort of golf business, I think, but I don't know what happened. It wasn't talked about. I knew there was tension involved and the business didn't end up continuing. So I think that was somewhere in my family of, we just don't really start our own business because it's a money loser. <laughs> right. And it sounds like not only was it a money loser, but it also threatens the family, right? Because if there was yeah. that tension and no one would talk about it. So it's not just a threat financially, but it's a threat to the family structure. Yeah. So it's interesting also that I hear you say that you went into teaching. One of the reasons was because you love to learn and loving to learn is a common thread with every woman I've spoken to so far who's an entrepreneur. And I will say it again, mm -hmm. I've said it in other interviews, it is essential to being an entrepreneur, not just this wanted, but like this deep thirst that needs to be quenched. So that I find that very interesting as well. Okay, so you did the teaching for a while for many valid reasons, you decided it was not for you. And then did you mention that you went into something in diplomatic services as well? I was doing my master's to eventually go into the diplomatic service. Uh, that was my end goal. It was actually something I had planned on doing 11 years ago in my undergrad and then decided I would try it out again. Um, but it was no longer the dream. That was like 10 year old 
10 year younger version of me wanted that and current Elizabeth found that it wasn't a fit. So I stopped my master's halfway through the degree and decided not to continue it. So when you stopped your master's, what was the sort of reaction amongst your family and friends? They were shocked because I've always been the person who loves to learn, the bookworm, the academic, the absent-minded professor. These are all ways that people have described me in the past. And I was the one that was the first to get my higher education in my family, both my undergrad and my bachelor of education. And I have two bachelors and they couldn't believe it. They're like, you've wanted this for so long because they knew this was a degree that I had wanted to pursue before. They knew I wanted to travel and this would be a way of doing it. It like, again, ticked all these like logical boxes, but didn't add up to the complete picture for me. So there was a lot of like, why don't you just do it? There's just one more year left. Why don't you just do one more year? And and then you have this to fall back on. And I just, I'm sick of having something to fall back on. You know, I could fall back on teaching whenever I want. I could go get a teaching job tomorrow if I wanted, but it's, I, I just got, I couldn't do it anymore of like, sacrificing yeah it's one year and then one year leads to another year and leads to another year and before you know it you've spent 40 years doing the same thing right so that was the path you were on you were teaching but then you went back to school and you were sort of on this path that you had been set upon I'm assuming self-proclaimed academic right this was something that you pursued right and you've decided no more what was that tipping point you said the pandemic came and that changed a lot for the world, the entire world, not one person was not affected by this pandemic. So tell me a little bit about how that affected you and how that affected your sort of life's path and what that decision process was like. It was huge. It was a huge change for me because part of my master's I was doing was one year in Canada, one year in France with an internship in between the two years. And so I had had an internship lined up with what was the foreign service. It was in line with what I wanted to do afterwards. I speak French. I thought I could improve my French by going to France. And I would actually graduate with two master's degrees, one from the university here in Canada, one in France. So everything was lined up. I would do the internship. It was paid. I would do the year abroad and then I would come back and get a job. Um, And then the pandemic happened and I couldn't go abroad. And the foreign service that I was supposed to do my internship with canceled it because they couldn't have people coming into the office that they didn't know. And I had done all the security clearance and everything. So it was like everything I had been working towards was pulled out from beneath me in the course of just a month or two. Uh, So I had no income because I planned on the internship being what would pay the bills. I couldn't teach because schools were closed and they had gone online. And that was kind of my backup income during this time. I was substitute teaching. Uh, I couldn't travel. I couldn't do my master's. It had been postponed. The university wasn't letting anyone go abroad. So I, I was left with this void of like, yeah, I knew I didn't really want to do this master's anymore, but I had planned on just seeing it through. Now that wasn't even a possibility. I had always relied on teaching to get, be the backup. That wasn't a possibility anymore. Uh, So I was like, just lost. There was a period of like two weeks where I was just watching the news constantly, like in the anxiety and the panic of like, I don't know what's going on. So if I have all the information, I'll know. And then I was like, I can't do this. So I, I like buried my head in the sand and was just like in my own world of, you know, 
being at home with my dad. I, I had moved back in with him, so we were just kind of together during lockdown and yeah, just gave me some time to reflect. And I started doing more yoga and meditating and, and that sort of thing. And so was it after those two weeks that you decided, I have no other options, I don't even have fallbacks, so now I'm gonna explore opening a business. And what was that business? Did you start with Breathworks? No, at this time, breathwork was just something that I did prior to meditating because I found it helped me to actually get out of my head and stop the overwhelming thoughts that come up during meditation. And so I decided I was going to help other vegan women because I've been vegan for almost seven and a half years now to end binge eating because I had struggled with binge eating in my life and I had kind of overcome that. So that was the first business that I did was vegan food freedom, was helping vegan women to stop binge eating. And so I dedicated myself to that and I started doing a coaching certification because as you can see, I'm always getting degrees. <laughs> so I was like, if I'm gonna be a coach, I need to be certified. So I did that. I started that, my coaching certification not long after that. And I started creating content on Facebook, on my Facebook page. And I had hired a business coach to help me with that. and. So that's kind of what I switched gears to. And I thought it was just going to be like a year and then I might go and do my master's again. I hadn't completely ruled it out at this point. And then eventually when it came up time to go do my master's, I said, no, I'm going to continue doing this. Oh, so you finally felt like it was the fit. It seems like you were looking for that thing that felt good, that felt like the fit. Were you surprised by that? Because you had spent your whole life sort of like, you know, in education or pursuing things that were more or less stability focused. Were you surprised that something risky like owning a business was the fit for you? I was surprised. And also I kind of understood it because there's always been this push and pull with me between stability and growth, stability and growth, stability and growth. I had, was offered a stable teaching job, for example, here in Canada. And I could see my life stretched out in front of me in a straight path. I knew exactly what it would look like for the next 25 years. And I was like, I can't do this. And then I went and taught in China. <laughs> I was like, it was, yes, it was still teaching, but it was something completely different. And it felt like a growth opportunity and exciting. And so I've always been kind of like torn between these two things. So I was surprised, but not surprised because of this kind of dynamic that I'd had. Uh, I was surprised though, because I had always thought that I would be in the public sphere, like public education or public service in the government. So that was, I hadn't considered that I could do something more private or, you know, entrepreneurship for that kind of reason. Hey there, business owner. I hate to interrupt this great conversation, but I just wanted to quickly talk to you about something I thought you might find interesting. Look, I understand the challenges of trying to sell more services and feeling like you're hitting a wall. That's why I've put together my latest report, the top five reasons you're not selling more services and how to fix it. A free resource that provides practical tips and insights to help you overcome common sales barriers. Inside this report, you'll discover the sneaky pitfalls that might be blocking your path to sales success. But don't worry, I also provide simple yet effective strategies to help you turn things around and start seeing real results. 
Imagine having a clear understanding of what's been holding you back and the confidence to make the necessary changes. This report will give you the knowledge and guidance you need to make smarter business decisions. Don't let another missed opportunity pass you by. Take a moment to download the top five reasons you're not selling more services and how to fix it report for free and unlock the secrets to boosting your sales. Head on over to links.melissaminchala.com slash sell more services and download your copy today. And now back to our show. All right. So now you've opened up vegan food freedom, something that you were passionate about and that you wanted to help other women with. And I mean, obviously you were excited about it because you just ditched all your past experiences and were ready to go yeah. full throttle with this. Um, and I know what it's like to be very excited about, you know, opening a new business, but what were some of the challenges that you faced when you were starting this new business that you maybe weren't more or less prepared for? And how did you overcome those challenges? Well, the challenges were a lot to do with income instability. Teaching is a very stable job. I had a pension and benefits and, and everything. So to not know where money would be coming from was very risky, very scary for me. So I was lucky enough that I had quite a bit of savings that I was living off of in the beginning. And I moved in with family too, to kind of minimize expenses. So that gave me some security that I was looking for. And it was also putting myself out there was very scary to me as well, like posting things online and sharing my experiences with my own struggles with food. And so that was new to me as well, because I've always been kind of a private person. And again, in the teaching profession, we're not allowed to share that much stuff online because we can get in trouble with the school board if say a parent or a child were to find that content. So I was kind of breaking outside of the box in many ways. And that was quite challenging. So all those years of training where you had learned to kind of keep things compartmentalized. This is my private, this stays here. Now you had to retrain mm -hmm. yourself to be comfortable with opening that door in order to kind of fulfill that yeah. mission of yours. What other challenges did you have? I'd say consistency. I was posting, I think, three times a week at that time, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, for sure. Sometimes other times growing a Facebook group, growing all these different things, learning new things. I had to learn how to make websites because I didn't have a website. I had to learn about branding and Canva, which I was excited about because like I said, I love to learn. So it was like, a great opportunity, but it was also like, you're doing so many things at once. That was quite challenging and figuring out like, how do I know what to do? Because I've never done any of this before. This is all so new. So what's a priority? What's not? What do I focus in on? Uh, because you could be making like posting on Instagram and Facebook and now TikTok, which didn't exist at this time, or at least I wasn't aware of it, or making a podcast or a newsletter, or growing your email list. It's like, all these different background things, scheduling, like that was all new to me. So that it was challenging to try and figure out like, well, what do I actually have to do on a day-by-day -day basis? And how do I continue to keep this momentum, even if I'm not necessarily seeing results like I had expected? How do I just keep showing up for myself when there's no one telling me what to do? Although teaching, there's no one telling you what to do each day either. So you get to figure it out. But you have a paycheck at least coming in. Well, yeah, you also have a curriculum you have to follow. 
And that's the thing about working within a large organization. You don't have to figure out what the systems are. The systems are built for you. You're just the proverbial cog in that system. But when you're a business owner, you have to develop the systems. And that's a whole different ball of wax. And sometimes when you are developing the system, you don't necessarily get the results that you want as quickly as you feel that you should get them. And that can be very demotivational. And, you know, sometimes you think, why, why am I even doing this? What for? So did you have some of that also? And how did you deal with that? I just knew the big picture. I knew what I wanted. Like I was doing vegan food freedom. It had to be vegan. And I even had business coaches. I had colleagues. I had so many people who didn't understand the vision. They didn't understand why I was doing it. Like, why don't you just do binge eating? Why does it have to be vegan? Like, the whole point is there is nowhere for vegans who do this. And we still struggle. I had to be super clear with myself of like why I was doing this. And that was the thing that saw me through this. It's like, yeah, okay, maybe I'm having difficulty with my website stuff. Or yeah, maybe it's frustrating that I'm not seeing the growth that I want with my followers. Or why is no one hitting like or or anything? So it was it was always this process of like coming back to myself and coming back to like, why is this important to me? Because even in moments of doubt, it's like, yeah, but I can't do anything else. It's like, ah. Uh, going back to teaching now, that sucks. I don't want to do it. Or like changing my business based on what even one of my business coaches was telling me, no, that's not a right fit either. So it was like, it was a really great exercise, a painful and challenging one, but it was a really great exercise in getting a lot of clarity about myself and learning about myself, not just learning about like stats and figures and information, but like learning who I am and what's important to me. And like, standing up for myself. It sounds like you were learning to listen to yourself, to really, really yeah. deeply listen to yourself and not only listen, but abide because yeah. someone can listen and just say, no, I can't do that and not allow yourself to really proceed with what it is that you want to do. But when you listen and abide, mm -hmm. then fulfillment can come through that. All right. So you have this vegan business, you've got coaches, you're working through all these challenges, but owning a business you know, is very different from working within an organization because of course in an organization, you have all these colleagues to collaborate with. You're a member of the system. So you know where you can look to for guidance and you know exactly what your goals are. You know exactly what's expected of you. You know exactly when the weekend starts and when the weekend ends and it's all there. But when you're an entrepreneur, all those things are gone. Entrepreneurship can feel very, very lonely. So did you experience loneliness and what was some of your loneliest times and how did you deal with that? Yeah, I definitely felt lonely. I would say the loneliest was about six months into about a year, somewhere in that period. I don't know exactly where the initial like excitement had worn off where I'm like, I'm going to, I'm doing the thing and I'm launching it all. And wow, I'm actually doing it. Like I'm proud of myself. And then I wasn't seeing the results that I had expected. I thought it would just be like, take off. And that didn't happen, which I think is common for a lot of businesses. Um, but I didn't know that at the time. And so what I did was I actually ended up moving in with my sister, who's my best friend. Even though she didn't have her own business, she was supportive of me in my business. And 
I sought out another community of other entrepreneurs online. I got a new business coach, one who was supportive of my vision. And she also had a community of women. So I had access to that. I had made friends in the coaching space. And so we had our own like online meetings. Because again, this is still in the pandemic. So I built a community for myself. And we shared our wins and our losses and our struggles. And that really helped me is having the support of my sister and well, her partner and, and they had a dog. So I had a dog to play with too. And also having an online community space of other entrepreneurs. And I hear that a lot from the women I speak with. It's very important to find a community, find one, build one, but just become a part of, of a community, which is great to live in the 21st century. This is something that we can so much more easily do than we ever were able to before. So it's something that we really should thank our lucky stars for and really take advantage of because they're out there. So you talked about that you shared your wins and your losses. Can you share with us maybe a time that you faced like a major failure and how did you recover from that? Major failure would be when my own disordered eating, I won't say eating disorder because I've never been officially diagnosed, came back. So here I am with this vegan food freedom business, helping vegan women overcome their eating disorder and mine had reared its ugly head again and so I felt totally out of integrity I was like I can't be helping and supporting other people when I'm struggling with this myself so I had to essentially burn that business to the ground because I was like it doesn't feel right anymore and I had to focus on healing my own relationship with myself and I think part of it was the insecurity or the instability of having a business that the disordered eating is a coping mechanism. It's a response to that. And also the isolation of the pandemic. A lot of people struggled with mental health and with, and eating disorders are a form of mental health struggle. And so that was a huge thing for me. I was like, I found this thing that I love, but I don't feel I'm in integrity with it. And integrity is a huge value to me. And so I had to take a step back for a little bit and take a pause and figure out I know I still want to have a business. I just don't know what that business is going to look like because the way that it's been going, I, I just, it's not right to me to continue this. So that was a major challenge, struggle, loss, I guess you could say for me was like, well, what do I do now? So you had this business and you didn't feel like you could go forward with this business because it didn't have the integrity that you wanted your business to have. And so then what, did you do? How did it evolve from there? Did you go back to teaching or did you pursue entrepreneurship? I did a little bit of both. So I took a time out from accepting clients and I stopped pretty much creating content and things online so that I could take the time to get clarity. And I did do some teaching during this time just for some income. Uh, and I also hired my own coach to work on this particular like food, uh, body image kind of struggle. And so that was, I was doing my own personal development. I was looking for stability. I knew I was going to come back to business though. Like it was always there of, I don't know what form it's going to take, but I know that this is what I'm meant to do. And I, I want to serve others and it lights me up inside. Yeah, it's, it's hard, but I know that I want to do it. So I took I mean, I probably like six months, nine months, somewhere around that without having a business per se. And then I came back to it and 
it came back because I discovered breathwork through my own healing journey of working through my issues with my body and food and everything. My coach was actually also a breathwork facilitator. And so through working with her, I went and did the same certification program that she had done. And then I felt, okay, I'm actually embodied. I'm actually in integrity because this is the thing that helped me to overcome my issues and I'm certified in it. Now I can do this thing because it's the thing that helped me so much. And so that's what my my current business is. So I'm very, very interested in this because I've never heard of Breathworks before. And, and it sounds very interesting. And I think it would be great to share with our audience, especially because it's something that you say helped you overcome your disordered eating, which... I would imagine a lot of women are still struggling with. And like you said, especially after the pandemic, it's it seems like it's part of the waterfall effects that we're still experiencing. There are a lot of mental health issues that are happening with our society. And I just don't know that there are enough resources for people to get the help that's needed. You say that breathwork helped you. So can you tell me a little bit about what breathwork is? Breathwork is basically just conscious breathing <laughs> so it's nothing it's it's a tool that you can use that's with you all the time because we're we are always breathing we have to do it to survive and it's a very powerful tool because it does work with the nervous system it works with the autonomic nervous system so unlike other functions of your body which are part of this nervous system like digestion temperature regulation we don't have any control over that but we can have control over the breath so it's, that's where breathwork would come in, where we take the conscious control and we can start working with it to energize, to activate the nervous system or to kind of soften, relax as well. And it's something we do passively. That's where the autonomic thing comes in. So that's why breathwork is really, the breath is really powerful because it's something we just automatically do. And it's something that we can control unlike heart rate and, and that sort of thing. And so breathwork to me was so powerful because it allows you to unhook from the conscious mind to literally when people talk about getting out of your head and back into your body, that's what breath work has allowed me to do. Because if you breathe continuously for eight minutes or more, that's what a meditative session is, you are able to go into the body work in the subconscious essentially to, um, that's where things can happen. Everyone's different. It's very, very much body led. Your body will release the energy that it wants to release. So you can experience joy, you can experience fear, you can experience anger, sadness. I have people laugh, I have people cry, I have people like pound the bed, I have people who fall asleep because they need rest. Like it's very much body responsive. Whatever your body is needing in that moment, that is what comes through. It's not done by the facilitator. It's done by you and your body. So that's very interesting. So when you are doing a breathwork session, you may not necessarily know what's going to come out? So no, not fully, because in the beginning, everything starts by setting an intention. So I don't want it to come in and be like, I don't know what's going to happen. We come into a session and I kind of gauge, well, what is your body needing right now? Is it needing to be you know, upregulate and energize because we we'll choose a breathwork pattern that facilitates that, or is it needing to kind of relax and slow down? And so we'll choose a breathwork pattern related to that. But we always set an intention, and the intention guides the session. So it could be, I am connected to my body, or I am grounded if you're looking for a more grounding practice. And so, based on that intention, you can kind of get an idea of what'll happen but you can't know for sure. Like I did a session 
with a client who wanted to tap into her feminine energy. And she ended up like having a download of her entire new coaching program from it. So you, you don't really know what's going to happen every time. You can just kind of go in with an intention and breathe. And, and like I said, it's body led. So if a breath pattern, you're getting uncomfortable sensations from it, you can release it, come back to your natural breath and any of those sensations will go away. They're not permanent. Or we could even do a different breath pattern. So it's very much whatever your body is needed. That's very, very interesting. And I never heard it called breath work, but I have had the understanding that breathing is a tool for sort of like controlling your emotions. That's how I understand it. So I used to be a smoker for like 10 years. I was back in the like 90s. I smoked when I was anxious. Towards the end, I really smoked, you know, at bars with friends. So it was like a social thing. But when I was younger, it was when I was anxious. And I was like, maybe what I was doing was because you're inhaling and you're exhaling. Mm -hmm. so maybe what I was doing was just, I just was breathing with this, you know, socially acceptable nicotine stick. And so later yeah. on in my life, I found that when I would get too tense or there was too much stress, I could like breathe my way out of it. And I just sort mm -hmm. of drew back to, okay, what was smoking like? So I very intentional, fill the lungs, exhale. And I'm wondering if that's what's going on with all this vaping. You see people, sometimes they just cannot exist without the vaping. And I'm wondering if some of that may be just a response to anxiety and stress levels. And it's just them doing breath work without really knowing it. Yeah, it could be the only time they take a deep breath in the day because when we take a deep breath especially if you take a breath and hold it you can't do that when you're in the like more activated fight or flight because if you're running you can't take a deep breath you can't hold it because you'll be puffing and panting as you're fleeing to get away and so it actually signals to your body when we take a deep breath we're safe and that we can go into like the parasympathetic the rest and digest state because our, our breath will signal to our body. It's a, what we classify as anxiety or as any emotion. It's just a physical sensation in our body that we give meaning to in our mind. And so anxiety could be like the fluttering heart, could be the short breath, the short, choppy, shallow breathing. And so when we deepen our breath, it will actually tell our body, hey, we're safe. The anxiety is no longer there because we've shifted into a, a different physiological state. So you're changing the actual physiology of your body. And that's going to give us different thoughts. That's going to give us different emotions that come up as well. And it allows us to think more clearly. And so whatever we're mm -hmm. experiencing in the moment, sometimes we kind of get flung into irrational thoughts when we start mm -hmm. with the stress, but then we just sort of bring us. And now I just learned that, that that's what we're doing is bringing ourselves back into that safe place of we can digest. What was it? it was what and digest? Rest and digest. If we can rest and digest. Now we can think more clearly. Wow. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. That's really fascinating. Yeah. So, okay. So now you're doing this breath work um, business. And so where do you see this going in the future? What are your goals for that? Well, I have some big, hairy, audacious goals. <laughs> the only kind of goals to have. Yes, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> so I want breathwork to be as accessible because it's such a powerful tool. Like I was just describing how it literally changes your body, your thoughts, your emotions on a physiological level. I want it to become as accessible as yoga. 
people know they can go to a yoga class and they can calm down and they can move their bodies. I want people to know they can do the same thing with breathwork. So to have breathwork studios and a membership where people can drop in on classes, that's the end goal. And I'm potentially franchising that where I'm certifying people in a breathwork method and then hiring them to work in my different studios and run classes. So no matter what time zone you're in or where you are, there will be a class that you can drop in on when you need it. That's fantastic. And I bet you, you don't have to buy breathwork pants. No. (laughs) Although loose, flowy clothing is okay. (laughs) So you're not constricting your like, can fully open up your diaphragm and your lungs if you have looser clothing. Right. That's great. But not required to get breathwork. No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So looking back on your, on your journey and your very varied journey, um, as a first generation entrepreneur, what advice would you give to other women who are starting out? The advice I would give to anyone starting out would be know your why, which I think is very like, yeah, typical advice and know how you can connect with yourself. Because even when you have your why and you know it cognitively up here in your mind, your body's going to be like giving you signals of like anxiety and stress and like the tightness and and basically what we were just describing. And you're going to lose connection to that part of you the rational thought that's like, yeah, this is why I'm doing it. So having a practice, whether it's breath work or meditation or going for a walk or whatever it is, journaling, where you can come back to yourself, where you can remember why you're doing this, where you can like fly in the face of all the haters, all the doubters, all the naysayers, all the people who don't understand. You have to understand yourself. You have to love and accept and acknowledge that like, this is who I am. Because that's something that I had to work with. Like, no, I'm not a teacher. No, I'm not going to be a stay-at-home parent. No, I'm not going to be all these different versions. I'm not going to be a diplomat. All these different versions that I could be. I'm choosing to be this entrepreneur. I'm choosing to have this life. I'm choosing to build this business. I'm choosing to put myself in uncomfortable situations where I get to learn. And I'm choosing my freedom. And I'm choosing myself over and over and over again. And just understanding, accepting, and appreciating that about myself instead of judging or labeling it of like, I'm a failure or like, why do I have to be this way? All these questions. So having that practice where you can come back to yourself, where you can give yourself and validate yourself and whatever it is that you're needing, being able to do that for yourself, because you're going to be thrown in situations where, you know, you don't know what to do. You haven't seen it before. And yeah, that's exciting, but it's also terrifying. So come back to yourself. Yeah, it's very important to know yourself. And especially from hearing your stories, to really know yourself well enough to listen to yourself clearly. So tell me, do you have any product services or offerings that you'd like to share with our audience? Sure. So you can find me at Space Breathwork or spacebreathwork.com. And I have my podcast, The Breathing Space on Substack, which you can check out. And if you're interested, you're like, I'm curious about breath work. I do have a free practice of five minute chaos to calm to kind of connect back to your center. Like I was saying, if you're an entrepreneur, very useful to have that in your back pocket. So you can download that. Uh, I'm sure we can put a link down below, or if you check my profile uh, on Instagram, it's there. And I offer one-to-one breathwork sessions, as well as group sessions. Every Monday, I do open space, it's called, which are open to people to 
do their 30 minute kind of shorter practices to reconnect. And I have more offerings coming in the future. So courses and things that I'm working on right now. I'm just curious, how does the one, how do the one to, is this via Zoom or how does that work? Yeah, it's, it's on Zoom. So you can schedule on my calendar and then we come in and it's 60 minutes long. So we set an intention, like I said, we, we kind of gauge where you are, what is the intention for the breath work? I'll teach the breath pattern that you need. I've got music that goes along with the journey, breathing actively for anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes with integration at the end for journaling and whatever comes through during a session to be shared. And that's, that's a one-to-one session. I think this is fantastic. I think this is something I find fascinating and the physiology behind it, of course, absolutely makes sense, which makes it even more fascinating. This is all great things. And am I correct? Do you have a special Divergent Women breathwork session that they can schedule with you? I do. For those of you who have listened to the podcast and you're like, I want to check out a one-to-one session, I'm offering a Divergent Woman discount of 10%. So just send me a message on Instagram saying Divergent Woman and I'll hook you up with that session. Okay. So remember, you can find Liz at Space Breath Work on Instagram. So find her there, give her a follow and send her a DM and let her know. All right. So that's all for today. And I thank you so much, Liz, for joining us. This was a fascinating story. We learned so much about you. We learned so much about uh, breath work and breathing and physiology. And it was all fascinating to, to learn about. And I thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Divergent Women. We hope you find inspiration, motivation, and a renewed sense of empowerment as we explore the incredible journeys of our guests. These remarkable first-generation women entrepreneurs show us what it means to break the mold, defy expectations, and create businesses that make a lasting impact. We invite you to continue on this journey with us as we bring you more captivating stories of resilience, determination, and triumph. Stay tuned for future episodes where we delve deeper into the challenges and triumphs faced by women in entrepreneurship, providing valuable insights, practical advice, and a supportive community. Remember, you're not alone on this path. Divergent Women is here to celebrate your uniqueness, embrace your ambitions, and empower you to navigate the entrepreneurial world with confidence and grace. Together, we can rewrite the narrative, shatter glass ceilings, and inspire a new generation of trailblazing women. Make sure to subscribe to Divergent Women on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would greatly appreciate your support by leaving us a review and sharing this podcast with fellow entrepreneurs and aspiring business owners. Until next time, keep embracing your uniqueness, chasing your dreams, and making waves in the world. This is Melissa Minchala signing off from Divergent Women. Stay fierce, stay fearless, and keep breaking those barriers.